Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, believe it or not, despite all of the buzz of the place and the fact that it's literally just right there, we still don't know if the moon holds any water that might be useful for using should we set up a moon base there. And that to me seems absolutely crazy. But water on the moon is not straightforward. And here to try and solve the problem is Professor Mahesh Anand. He's from uh, Open University. He's the professor of planetary science and exploration there. He's been trying to test lunar rock to see if there's any way we can extract water from it. Welcome to the program, Mahesh. Before we get into the the work that you're doing trying to get water from rocks, um, which sounds almost like something Jesus might do, uh, can you first uh, explain why we don't know whether or not there's water on the moon in the first place definitively? Well, uh, thank you for having me, Jonathan, on your show. Uh, Well, you know, 50 years ago, or maybe now it's longer than 50 years ago, when humans first actually um, visited the moon, they brought some samples back to Earth. And at that time, you know, we learned what the moon rocks were made up of what actually was there on the moon itself. And what we learned was there was no water, or at least that's what we thought. And fast forward 50 years, and a lot of scientific research has been done on the same rock samples that were brought back by the Apollo astronauts. And it turns out that actually uh, there might be a a very small uh, quantities of water that is actually hidden away inside the rocks, inside the moon, or, as it turned out, that there might be actually water ice itself at the lunar poles, which, of course, the astronauts didn't visit, and we didn't have much information about the lunar poles. So these are some of the new information that has actually come about in the last uh, couple of decades. But, I mean, when we talk on this program about, you know, imaging, you know, stars from billions of light years away, uh, it, it seems crazy to me that with the naked eye, you can make out, you know, features on the moon. How can we not figure out whether or not there's, there's water or ice uh, available to us. Why is that a difficult thing to figure out when it's so close to us? Yeah, I think that's a, a very good question. You know, some of the water ice that I'm talking about, these are hidden away. These are hidden inside um, big, large craters, which are at the polar uh, locations. And these craters are in permanent, almost permanent shadow. So you really can't see them, right. even if you are looking directly from above it. Forget about, you know, looking from the Earth. So it isn't a surprise that actually we didn't see them until we started looking for them. So um, I would have thought the easiest thing to do is set up some sort of rover and go to the polar um, uh, spots and get some water from there if we we find it. But that doesn't seem to be the easiest way of getting water for a moon base should we need it. Can you talk to me about the different approaches uh, you might take to get water to the moon or from the yeah. moon? Yeah, sure, sure. Or, or for the purposes on the lunar surface itself, which is what uh, we are trying to to do. So, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's not uh, so easy to actually go and visit those very frigid places at the polar regions where actually the temperatures are so low that, you know, it's, it's really a huge technological challenge. And, you know, we have to remember that we haven't yet actually confirmed that that water ice does exist there. Yeah. So if we move away from there and see that, you know, the obvious location where we are going to return when we return to the moon are going to be very similar locations where the Apollo astronauts landed. And there is absolutely no chance of actually finding any free water ice there. So instead, what we are going to find is the components from with which you can make your own water, so to speak. And so most people would, you know, recognize that water is made up of um, hydrogen and oxygen. So uh, there is an idea that actually most of the lunar dust 
that you actually encounter when you get to the surface is made up of oxygen. So if somehow you have hydrogen available to you, you can combine that hydrogen after extracting oxygen from the lunar rocks, and voila, you make your own water. Right, so sort of a, a reverse hydrolysis. Exactly, exactly. Right. So, so, but, but there is a lot of technological um, progress. Yeah, it sounded, I, I made it sound really easy there, didn't yeah. I? But, yeah. Yeah. So, so you, what you're trying to do is you're, you're bringing up the hydrogen, which you can compress and, and carry, because it's, I mean, hydrogen is obviously very light. <laughs> That's the, the lightest element. So you, you bring up the very light hydrogen, and then you uh, and then you find a way of, of mechanically um, extracting oxygen from the rock and uh, combine it with hydrogen to make uh, the the oxygen the the water, which sounds very cumbersome as opposed to bringing water up with you. But bringing water up with you, if we're going to try and stay there for a long time. It's just not possible financially and, and resource-wise. Is that right? Hey, that, that's correct. So I think it's, it's basically it's the finances that don't work. So actually, if you if you want to stay at the lunar surface for extended periods of time and you have a few, you know, not, not one or two people, but if you have got, you know, say a colony of scientists or explorers who are there and not a dozen or so people at a time, maybe months is staying at the lunar surface, then you also reduce your risk if you don't run out of your water that you are carrying from Earth. And, you know, I said, well, you can carry your own hydrogen, but there is also research going on to look at the possibility of actually getting that hydrogen from the lunar dust itself, because the thing about the moon is that there is no environment on the moon. So the solar wind, which is nothing but actually made up of um, hydrogen atoms, it bombards the lunar surface and it implants that hydrogen. So there is a research going on to see whether you could actually extract that hydrogen separately from the lunar soil. Right. And then when you actually extract oxygen, you don't even have to carry hydrogen. You can have your hydrogen right at the lunar surface itself to make your water. So uh, we know there's oxygen from these samples. As an aside, um, the the president of America, after the, the, the first three Apollo missions, they were bringing back these lunar samples. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but Ireland received a lunar sample of rock. Uh, it was uh, encapsulated in some resin and given to our um, our president at the time, I think it was Hillary, I think it was, um, and uh, it was a sort of an ornament as a, as a sort of a peace offering uh, and a, a sort of bit of diplomacy. Were you aware of this, that, that leaders of state received some of these space rocks? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and that's one of the things that I actually I tend to do when I actually visit around uh, different countries. I, I try to locate where these goodwill moon rocks are. And recently I was actually visiting Helsinki and I saw in their uh, geological survey that there was a piece of that goodwill rock that you just said. Yeah. A, a same rock that was donated, or a similar rock donated to to Ireland and many other countries around the world. Our one is in a dump, I'm afraid. It's oh, in, is it? <laughs> it's in, it, it was thrown away. Um, in, oh in, no! In, after a fire in Dunsink, um, and there was an observatory there, and it was actually thrown away. And we, it, it's probably there's a million euro hidden under a whole lot of rubbish somewhere in Dunsink, which is a a, a part of Dublin uh, County here. That's a bit of an aside, but but essentially from analysing the lunar samples that you did manage to get a hold of, we know that oxygen is available. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that is that is a very um, well-known fact that okay. most of the rocks that you find on Earth or anywhere in the solar system, half of it actually is made up of oxygen because it's the oxygen which is combined with other elements like iron, calcium, silicon, etc. So this is nothing new. Everybody knew about it. Right. The question is, can you actually efficiently extract that oxygen and to make meaningful use of it, either as oxygen itself, which, you know, it's it's a very important commodity in itself because we need to breathe yeah. and we need oxygen for it. 
So you not only extract oxygen for breathing, you then combine that with hydrogen to make your water, and then water can be used for many, many different purposes. And I should also mention it to you that actually there are certain minerals inside the moon rocks that we didn't know some well, about 10 years ago, that actually they did contain even molecular water inside them. So there is a teeny tiny bit of water itself that is locked inside these uh, minerals in moon rocks. But that we scientists, we try to use their chemical fingerprint to understand a bit more about where they might have come from, you know, what is the origin in the solar system and all that. So eventually, right. because you want to understand, okay, so there is water, you can produce the water, but how much of it is going to be available? So you want to do some reserve calculations and, and all of those. Well, well, I mean, how, you said it's difficult. Uh, you know, this isn't pie-in-the-sky stuff anymore. You know, we're talking very real, in real terms, about putting a base on the moon. We we need to supply that base with water and air, how do you get oxygen from a rock? Uh, yeah, so I, I think you are absolutely right. I mean, I would like to even uh, say that it doesn't have to be the moon. What the lunar exploration is forcing us to do is to actually think outside the box. Yeah. Uh, when you are faced with a challenge, you come up with a solution. Now, we know that moon is a very challenging, a harsh environment. And so what do we need to do in order to survive there? So, yeah, you're absolutely right. In order to actually, you know, extract that oxygen from a rock, you need to utilize a lot of energy. Mm. So then you might ask, where is that energy going to come from? Well, the good news is that on the moon, you have got plentiful supply of uh, sunlight. You yeah. know, there are no clouds, nothing. So for 14 days, you have got 100% sunlight all the time. So what we are going to require, uh, there will be uh, solar um, energy yeah. that will be put out providing that source of energy, which will be used to split the oxygen atom from your uh, rock or the dust, uh, then you will need to tra transport that. Uh, you need to store it. And, you know, so we are talking about quite a, uh, an extensive setup. It's not just um, going there and, and do something in, in a few days and then come back. No. So, so it is going to require quite some concerted effort. Absolutely. And even just getting equipment there to start the beginning of building the equipment is tricky because, as we've spoken on this program before, moon dust is, is very problematic. So the sort of uh, the water resistance and dust resistance you're going to need to build these this equipment, it needs to be absolutely rock solid and watertight. Um, so, so that's a, an engineering challenge in and of itself. Um, Quite. How, I mean, the Artemis mission is, is launching soon enough. How, how soon do you think you'd get a reasonable amount of, um, of moon rock back? Do you need more samples to, to figure out the technology? Or do you think the technology is here? It's now about, it's not about coming up with new methods. You have the process. It's about how to deliver it on the moon. Is that, is that the question? I, th I think it's more about the latter. You are absolutely right. right. I think the technologies are, we can always get more samples and do more tests, etc. But I think until we actually get to the real place, we need to demonstrate experiments in, in the real place rather than, you know, trying to simulate it in a simulated environment, which we have done, uh, you know, quite, quite a lot. And, and that's where those initial missions that are going to go either through Artemis or, or in addition to Artemis is actually they are called demonstrator missions. So, for example, at the Open University, we are actually preparing to send a few miniaturized instruments which are going to demonstrate one or two experiments of the entire um, chain of, um, you know, experiments that you would need right. in order to build your base, in order to provide the supply. So, But we need to build it in an incremental uh, fashion. And remember, you know, ultimately, 
we need to apply the knowledge that we have actually gathered over the last 50 years to have a more sustainable approach. We can't be a so in that sense, I would love to see Moondust being converted from, you know, liability to an asset. You know, you mentioned about Moondust playing, a, you know, a havoc when you are trying to operate the machinery. Well, if we can come up with a way of passivating that Moondust in such a way that you can not only extract the oxygen or water or whatever you need, but also then utilize it to manufacture something which you can then use it down the line to progress your lunar exploration. And that's the way we should be going. So um, so presumably the, 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 the next big step is putting a machine that will drill into rock, take it out and uh, prove in concept that this is a, 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 a thing we can do. Is that is that on the slate yet? Yes, yeah, that's right. And then probably the first time it is going to be more robotic. And and you might have heard about, you know, part of the Artemis plan is also there is going to be a space station kind of setup around the moon. It's called the Lunar Gateway. Yeah. And it may be that actually astronauts in the, in the initial phases of uh, exploration are going to be based in that space station kind of setting. And they will be actually tele-robotically operating rovers in areas of the moon mm. that either you can't control them directly from the Earth because of the line of sight issues and whatnot. Yeah. Or there are some good reasons why actually, you know, if need be, an astronaut can land at the lunar surface but come back to the safety of the space station, you know, where there is no radiation damage and all those sort of things. Yeah. So I think people are now starting to think in a much more coherent way of exploring the moon and then later on building on that to go beyond the moon. I, I have to say I'm very excited about seeing people on the moon, uh, you know, having grown up just missing all of it um, and, and hearing about, about it. I'd be very excited to, to see a launch of astronauts going to work on the moon and, and the results of their science. Is it still like a million a million dollars a kilogram to get stuff into, into space or is it cheaper now? I mean, how... How important is this part of the mission, getting getting drinkable water on the moon rather than bringing it up? Exactly. So, so I think that that's an order of magnitude is still quite the same. And, wow. and that's why there is more emphasis in actually deriving the resources that you need when you get to the lunar surface. So actually you are launching the less amount of material from the Earth in the first instance. Yeah. Because one kilogram of water is is one is one liter. Like that's not yeah, going to go exactly, very far. Exactly. Is it? So yeah. it, it is quite expensive. So if you can actually produce a one liter of water, so maybe the water that astronauts want to drink, they carry from Earth because initially you are not going to be sure about you know how safe it is going to be to drink the lunar water. But water is used for a variety of purposes. So if you can actually use that water to do your the manufacturing process or engineering process or something else that actually you don't ingest it but use for something else. Still, it is better yeah. to derive that on the lunar surface. But to me, the more exciting bit in all of this is actually when we do some of these challenging um, things, we solve problems here on Earth that we actually have never thought about. Mm. And, and I think we mustn't forget that because it's one thing to be going to the moon and exploring you know, our neighborhood, so to speak, but at the same time, we must have a synergy to bring that technological advancement for the benefit of what we are doing here on Earth to improve the quality of life, to things, you know, make things more sustainable, to you know, solve all these energy crises and whatnot we are discussing about. So, mm. so I think I would like to look at it both ways, you know, the moon and the Earth as you know, a, a kind of a, a family <laughs> or planet uh, altogether. Right, it's a, a romantic um, a way of looking at it. Um, Mahesh, Mahesh Anand, Open University Professor in Planetary Science and Exploration, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. 
Future Proof with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland. Sunday morning at 10. On News Talk.